Hey, good morning. It's so hard to, yeah, that was pretty good. It's, it's so hard for me to come up and try to pull you all away from your conversations because I'm just jealous because I wish I was in those conversations. So I've been learning that it's really hard for me to ask people to do things that I don't like to do, but that some people love doing things that I don't like to do. Isn't that nice? We'll save that for next month. We're going to take some time in December to talk a little bit about identity. And identity is a fun topic. We're going to talk about kind of how we're wired and, and why that matters. And yeah, we're going, to, we're going to shift gears a little bit. But so for today, today we're going to talk about this really interesting passage where it seems as if Jesus is telling you that if you want to be a better disciple, you need to go out and sin like crazy. Nobody was listening. <laughs> hey, by the way, so for those of you that are first timers, my name is Chris, and my wife and I, back there, we're the, we're the community architects. Nathan is the community glue, and you got to meet everybody else that makes Coastland what it is, and thanks for being with us this morning. We've been, we've been going through a series for the last 12 months, two months, I don't know how many months, a few months about the life and personality of Jesus, about, about Jesus' brilliance, his beauty, his personality. I've, I've been able to do some really fun things. Next week, most likely, we're going to do kind of a, a summary Sunday about all that we've covered, and then we're going to add a few more things to kind of tie it all together. So don't miss that, because that way, yeah, you're, you're going to start getting the idea that you might be able to like not come to church for three months, and then just come like on the, just the right Sunday and get it all. Not totally accurate. Partially accurate. But we're going to do kind of a summary Sunday. One of the things that, that uh, you might have missed was, Steve, will you stand up real quick? So you clean up well, my man. So, so if you guys remember our friends Steve and Jen, they, they were here a few, like a month and a half ago or something. And, and I got to take some actual mud and just, we told everybody that Steve was a visitor. And Steve came up and acted like it was his first time and that I didn't know him. And we, we, we reenacted the story when Jesus spits in the ground and makes mud and uses it to heal the blind man in John chapter 9. So Steve actually came back, so that's, that's a good sign. But yeah, we've had fun talking about Jesus and his brilliance and his beauty. We'll, we'll give you a good recap with a little bit on top next week. But, so I want to talk a little bit about gratitude this Sunday. I've got some thoughts that I wanted to share. This is a little bit more like this kind of raw materials, kind of unpolished thoughts on gratitude. We're going to look at a passage of scripture, but I thought it was fitting coming around Thanksgiving, and I especially thought it was fitting. Let me pray first before I say something that I'm going to get myself in trouble. Yeah, Jesus, we're really grateful that we get to come together. We're really grateful that we don't have to do life on our own. That's one of the things that's hit me over the last few months as I've dug deeper into who you were and tried to see you in three dimension is that thank you that, that you were so much better, you are so much better at life than us, but you offer your life to us. So thank you for that. Thanks that we don't have to just kind of flounder and scramble and, and fall all the time, but but we can sit in your lap and, and do life out of your life. It's just a beautiful thing. Thank you for that. So may we, may we tap into that reality this morning as we sit together 
And may we really just take some time to hone in on the gifts you've given us and help us to really understand what makes a gift a gift. Yeah, we acknowledge your presence, and we're grateful for your presence, Holy Spirit. Take us deeper into you this morning. Amen. Yeah, so I, I have to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm being playful, but there's a little bit of an ouchie to it. Um, living in China for five years, it started to be a little bit difficult to watch in the media and see things online, because obviously we're in China, but we, yeah, we would browse American websites. So every time around Thanksgiving, you know what it was that would literally just consume everything about Thanksgiving? Hint, hint, the word consume. Yeah. Black Friday. It's, it's almost as if, like, I have this fear that, that in the next few years, Black Friday, like, Thanksgiving will literally just be swallowed into the consumeristic vortex of Black Friday. That, that soon we'll be calling it Black Friday Eve. And I'm, I'm being like half kidding with you because anybody else feel that ever? It's like, what, what are we getting ourselves into here? You know, I, I, I envision this day, this tragic day where people actually spend their Thanksgiving eating a turkey sandwich in front of Best Buy at like four in the afternoon on Thursday. You know, and that day is actually upon some people, isn't it? So I'm just like, what? Never mind. I didn't mind it. Did you mind it? Was that distracting? But, so I've just, I've just been thinking about this gratitude thing because I, I get kind of sucked into it, especially being back in the States. Maybe the bummer was in China, I couldn't go do Black Friday. Like anything that I wanted to buy electronically was pirated and it was cheaper, but then it'd break in a couple weeks. So maybe I was just jealous that you guys all got to partake in Black Friday, but part of me was a little bit sad. So I'm like, really, is this what Thanksgiving is becoming? You know? So I was thinking, what is the antidote how do we make sure that for us, Thanksgiving doesn't just become Black Friday Eve? And, and I landed back on this reality that it's gratitude. The opposite of greed, the opposite of consumerism, is simply gratitude. I came across this quote, came from an email newsletter that I'm signed up for, and I just couldn't not put it up, but hopefully you've had a chance to take a look at it. Epic. Curious, I guess, is how you say his name. Um, probably lived quite a few centuries ago. Don't know anything about the guy except that he was probably smart. He said, do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. He's probably one of Yoda's mentors. It kind of sounds Yoda-ish. But remember that what you now have was once among the things you only hoped for. And have you, ever, have you ever let that tension hit you? Have you ever found yourself like just, can I say the word jonesing? Just really longing, just, just dying to have something as a part of your life? And there's this exhilaration to that, isn't there? There's this incredible feeling that's associated with that longing. And then once that thing actually becomes a reality in your life, what happens in the dynamic? What's that? 
it loses its interest, doesn't it? It's kind of like, oh, I forgot how much I used to want this. Isn't that fascinating? So the thing I started thinking about is what makes these things actually hold their value in our lives? Because it seems like things that we don't have have so much more value than the things we do. Doesn't it feel like that way sometimes? Like the things we long for have so much more emotional value and impact in our lives than the things we actually have. And so what if there was something we could do to actually recapture the value of these things that we always longed for and then have lost that? I was thinking about this. I mean, do you know that, at least in my opinion, I don't believe you've ever given a gift. I don't think you've ever given a gift. You maybe have tried to give a gift, right? But have you ever given a gift and you are so full of anticipation for how it's going to be received and then the person gets it and they're kind of like, oh, thanks, I think. Or they just kind of move on. I remember my little sister, she's adopted from China, okay? So this is what, I'm not going to make this a cultural thing, but I'll just say that two years of being a part of our family, this is the transition she went from, all right? So she was adopted as a three and a half year old from China. Her second Christmas, maybe, her English was, was coming along. Her second Christmas, my parents get her some gift. I don't even remember what it was because the gift wasn't the point. She literally takes it. She's five years old or so. She takes this gift. She takes it out of the box, grabs the box, and she goes, I can't believe it! And she, like, holds the box up and just, like, jumps and yells with excitement over the box. I'm like, now that is a gift right there, right? But that was just a box. That wasn't even the intention. And fast forward a couple years, I think I told you guys this story, right? Where fast forward a couple years, she gets this little toy puppy. You know the ones with the leash and they just kind of like walk in front of you? Yip, 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 yip. And she takes it and she, she opens it up. My grandparents had, been, had given it to her and my, everybody's watching her open it. And she takes the toy puppy and she kind of puts it to the side and she takes the batteries out and she throws them and she goes, that's not a million dollars! And everybody's just like, whoa, what? My parents are just sitting there horrified, right? And my grandparents are just laughing. But, but there's this, what was the difference? She was so enamored and elated at getting a box one year. And then within a couple years, it's not a million dollars. And I guess the thing I'm thinking about is, it's kind of like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. A gift is in the eye of the beholder. The thing that makes, changes something from an object or an experience to a gift is the gratitude with which it's received. So you want to see this in scripture real quick? You guys want to check out this really fascinating story? Yeah, let's, it's Luke chapter 7. We're going to go through it quick and we'll just kind of land on the, the main point. And then I want to give you just a couple thoughts. And then we have some, we're going to have craft morning. It's not going to be a craft necessarily. We have a project for you to to do this morning. So this is Luke chapter 7. I'm curious to hear who's ever been perplexed or frustrated by this passage. Um, My wife is one. And I'm I'm not going to throw under the bus by saying why, but she's like, I've always hated that story. (laughs) So maybe you can relate to that. So this is what happens. So busted what? So, Luke chapter 7, one of the Pharisees had asked Jesus, that's what it's talking about, one of the Pharisees had asked Jesus to eat with him. If you have Bibles or iBibles or whatever, go ahead and open up to it. And he went, Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, now, (laughs) 
Women, are you glad that we don't write about you this way? <laughs> Can you imagine what this woman is thinking? Like, yeah, well, let's see. A woman of the city, she's a sinner. Let's make sure we notice that. But so this woman, who's a sinner, she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. In other words, he's hanging out at this Pharisee's house. She brings in an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, granted, there's so much. As with every story we talk about, there's so much going on here. We're just going to have to just kind of navigate through a bunch of it to kind of get to the point that I want to hijack it to make this morning. Um, But stay with me. So this woman who's a sinner, she comes in, brings an alabaster flask of ointment, and she sees Jesus sitting there, and she stands behind him at his feet, weeping. And she begins to wet his feet with her tears. This is an emotional story. This is a very powerful, emotive moment. She begins to wet his feet with her tears and wipes his feet with the hair of her head. And she's kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. This is like sensual. This is inappropriate. This is awkward probably for the people standing around. This is tender for the woman. And Jesus is just sitting here. I don't know what he's thinking, but he's having his feet kissed and washed with the hair of some, I think some people say she's a prostitute. And these Pharisees, the most religious people that they are sitting there watching all this, thinking, what on earth is going on? Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, this is kind of fun, he says to himself, now if this man were really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. He says it to himself. And Jesus, never missing a beat. Let me go to the next slide. Calls him out on it. Does that make anybody feel a little bit awkward? It's kind of like, (laughs) are you glad Jesus doesn't always do that to you? Or that none of us in the room have that ability to read your thoughts? That's another detour for another day. But... So this man is thinking to himself, doesn't Jesus know she's a prostitute or whatever she is? And Jesus says, hey, Simon, let me tell you something. I've got a question for you. And actually, he tells the story. He says, so a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And this guy's probably like, well, duh. And he answers, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you're right. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus is pretty much putting this guy in his place, right? He's like, "Um, yeah, you are not a very good host. And Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Is that not a weird story? It's a beautiful story. But doesn't it almost seem as if Jesus is saying, I mean, it's, it's almost like, I, I wish I would have known this before high school so I could have told my parents why I was living the way I was living. Anybody else? It's like, well, Mom, Dad, I'm just trying to be a better disciple of Jesus. I'm just trying to learn to love more. The more I kind of stack up in my forgiveness account, the more I'm going to get to love Jesus. So I'm just working on that part. So that when I come around on the back end, I can love more. It's almost like, doesn't it seem like maybe that's what Jesus is saying? And I'm, I'm going to borrow a little bit. It was a guy named Erwin McManus that kind of gave me some, some insight into this. But So what, what is really going on here? Is, is that what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus saying, go and just sin like crazy if you really want to be a loving person? Of course that's not what he's saying. So what's, what's going on here? What is really the difference was the Pharisee forgiven any more than the woman was or any less? No, maybe they could think that, right? But what is the difference, really, at the core between the woman and the Pharisee? She knows she's unworthy. So she, there's this abundance in her heart that she pours back out to Jesus. Let me ask you guys something. Have you ever been in a situation where you're pouring into somebody you're investing into, I mean, maybe it's in parenting, but you invest energy and time and resources into a person, and it seems like you, you don't really want to say it because it sounds mean, but you feel like they're almost like a black hole where you're like, whoa, okay, um, I've done this and this and this and this and this, and it seems like it's just, and they're like, more. Have you got more for me? Right? And then you give more, because it's exhilarating to be able to serve somebody in that way, and then the next thing you know, something happens, and they're coming to you, and they're like, you failed me. You ever had that happen? You let me down. Why didn't you blah, blah, blah for me? Who's experienced that? Who's maybe been on both ends of that? Yeah. And have there been other people that you pour into and it seems like every little jewel or every treasure you give them just sticks and they run with it and you're like, oh my goodness, like you took that and made it so much more amazing than what I thought I was giving you. Have you ever seen people do that? It's beautiful, isn't it? I think that's what's going on here, and I think that maybe the thing that makes the difference is gratitude. I think the thing that makes the difference is, I mean, think about this idea of entitlement. How many of you feel like you see more and more entitlement in the world these days? Isn't entitlement, by definition, 
lack of gratitude for what's given to you? Entitlement is this thing of I deserve what I'm getting. And if you deserve it, it's no longer a gift, is it? A gift, by definition, is something you do not deserve and do not have to work for. And entitlement turns gifts into, well, I always had this coming. I've always deserved this. And so I was thinking about this, and this is kind of, let me, I want to give you a quote by, by G.K. Chesterton, and then I'm going to just share one, one kind of thought to, to bring this together and then let you actually exercise this. But I love this. Chesterton said, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. We were talking about you this morning. How grateful we are for you. <laughs> I just needed it as a sermon illustration. No. No, it was legitimate. Yeah. What's that? Give him some coffee? Yeah. As I was praying through this and I was singing through this, this is what kind of came to me. And so you saw that thing on there. It, all of a sudden, this idea came to me, what if gratitude is like Velcro for our hearts? Because haven't you ever felt like you, that whole thing, you, you give something to somebody and it just kind of like slides right through, right? The difference between the woman and the Pharisee, what I think the difference was, was the texture of their hearts. What Jesus had given to the woman and what Jesus had given to the Pharisee were no different. He had given forgiveness and love and acceptance. For the Pharisee, it slid right through, just like a lubricated water slide, right? It was just going like, and for the woman, it caught, didn't it? It got stuck. She grabbed onto it. And it was the gratitude that changed the texture of their hearts so that everything Jesus offered the woman actually landed and came back out to others. So let me show you the, the words that kind of came to me. Can we go to the last? I think it's the last slide. So I want us to just think about this for a minute. What if gratitude is like Velcro in your heart? Without it, the goodness and blessings offered to you simply slide past as if into a vacuum. <laughs> Nowhere to land. What if gratitude is the mechanism by which grace and gifts stick to our lives, making us full and whole? Did you know that gratitude and grace, what, they share the same three letters at the beginning, right? You know they say, come from the same root word? They share the same, they're from the same word family, grace and gratitude. I mean, think about how you say thanks in Spanish. Gracias. Grace. Graces. So what if gratitude is actually the thing in our lives, the thing in our hearts that actually lets grace be received as grace and gifts be received as gifts? It's kind of simple, isn't it? But do you think, is, is there 
truth in this? Does this resonate with anybody? When you look at your experience, when you look at your relationships, when you look at the posture of your own heart? I mean, think about even the the memories or the things we experience. We all have different things that we hold on to. We all have different things that stick. Things stick to us. It's an issue of, you know, gratitude hones our sights on the positive ones from a perspective of hope, from a perspective of appreciation. Ingratitude focuses on what's not there, right? So I guess this is what I want to do. With this in mind... um, let me just, let me pull back and before I give you what I have to give you, um, anybody want to share any thoughts similar to this or, or feel like there's something you want to kind of add to the conversation before we, we dive into our project together? Yeah? Um, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to just have a couple minutes of sharing and then we're going to, then we're going to hand these things out. So, Yeah. Will you stand, please, Al? Yeah. Uh, one thing I got out of that was that uh, he felt basically owed mm-hmm. the forgiveness. Uh, she just, her action was out of, like you said, the gratitude of her heart. He was, he was like, well, this should happen anyway. So there's an absence of gratitude when you're not, when, you're, when you feel owed. No. I love how it was Paul Young. He said, I don't carry expectations into any of my relationships, and that way everything I get is a gift. Isn't that such a beautiful way to live? It's like, he said, I don't carry any expectations into my relationships. That way anything I receive is a gift. I love that. I try to live that way. I fail miserably often. But I, I'm learning. Yeah. Sherry, were you going to? Yeah, will you stand for us? I know, hate to pick on you because you're a visitor, but welcome to Coastland. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. John, right? Has a lot to do with. Good. I love the I love the visitors kind of <laughs> stepping in. Yeah. We love. It's this is a tapestry we do at Coastlands. I get to do some of the talking, but but we love. Yeah, this is important to us. Something we do. So yeah. Who? So Dora.
It's good, thank you. Um, a couple more, and then, yeah, Pamela, and then I want to give you your assignment. Absolutely. Yeah. See, gratitude leads to generosity, doesn't it? And it, that's the way, you, that's the antidote for greed. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. One more, Betsy. And then homework time. All right. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Actively grabbing onto. Yeah. Yeah. It's such good stuff. It's just, yeah, this has been a challenge to me because I'm like, it's, it's so easy to slide into entitlement. And so I just have to kind of force myself to just pause and be like, wait a minute. Look at where you get to live. Look at who your family is. Look at who your friends are. Look at what you get to do on Sunday mornings. Look at what your job is. Look, like all these things because I think American culture and different things kind of draw us towards what we don't have, but there's just something beautiful about holding on to with gratitude what we do have. So uh, I need some volunteers to help me with something. So could I have like five or six people come up front real quick? I'm not going to put mud in your face. Uh, we brought, what we did is we have thank you cards for everybody, and this is what they are. They're not thank you cards we wrote for you. They're thank you cards that you get to pause, take a few minutes this morning, and express gratitude to someone in your life. 